All right, guys. Once again, another welcome to RUF. Um, my name's James. I will be doing the readings for us this year. So if you could please turn with me in your Bible, or you can look on your sheet, to Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 26. All right. Let's do Hill shuffling. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and ran up to him, and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean, unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. These are the words of our Lord. Um, look, y'all, it is um, our... Um it's our custom uh, at RUF, if you have any sort of history with us, to begin at a certain book of the Bible and just march straight through from beginning to end. Uh, and the reason why we do that is because we really want to try to let the Bible pick our topics for us so that we're not constantly doing our pet topics or things just that the campus minister happens to want to talk about. Um, but this semester, we're actually going to do something different for a change. Um, our series title this semester is called Credo, Why Believing Matters. In other words, um, the word credo is actually, if you not, are not familiar, uh, the, comes from the Latin word that means I believe. Um, and it's the beginning of a very well-known uh, ancient paragraph that the Christian church, whenever it gathers together, will recite to each other. You know it popularly as the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And then on and on through, a creed. Now look, I realize that to your generation, uh, that kind of talk sounds immediately strange. But I want you to, uh, to at least try to grasp the fact that from Christianity's infancy, from the very earliest of ages when Christianity started, Christians found it helpful, even I might add the word necessary, 
to attempt to distill what the Bible teaches to us in the Bible in major themes into these um, sort of theologically loaded statements, or what we call creeds. Now, the funny thing is, is before you get all weirded out about, oh, here we go, creeds, people who just recite creeds are just going through the motions. Um, That may be the case. But the truth is, we still kind of do creeds a little bit in our day. Uh, My guess is, if you grew up in the semi-religious South, uh, someone at some time has presented you with what we know as a tract. You know, these little things, a little booklet or something that'll have a couple uh, truths in it, maybe a Bible verse or two that you can flip through. Well, those tracts are in many ways trying to do what the ancient church has always known that it's supposed to do of trying to sum things up. In other words, to summarize things, to put it in compact statements so that I can understand it and grasp it better. Now, if I could be sort of sweeping and generalizing, uh, the problem with most of the modern tracks is that they just aren't very good. <laughs> um, they're a little too early and a little too modern to really satisfy and to bear the weight of what Scripture teaches from start to finish. However, the Apostles' Creed can come to you with a couple of different things. Number one, it's ancient. It's two, almost 2,000 years old. We have evidence that from as far back as from the 2nd century A.D., Christians were reciting what we're going to study this semester. Also, the Apostles' Creed has the benefit of being something that's recited in all denominations, whether it be Roman Catholic or Protestant, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Independent. The Creed is something that all Christians can agree on. And so that's why we're going to look into it this semester, by trying to see exactly what it is that God has for us there, that he's left for his church as it comes to us from the Scripture. And I want to focus on tonight, very briefly, that opening statement that it says in the Creed, I believe. Look, y'all, I want to pitch to you tonight that there are a few topics that I think are more misunderstood than the idea of believing, I want to set this in front of you tonight. If someone came to you and said, um, look, I know you Christians have this thing. You go to like Bible studies. You, you've got this Jesus character, you know, who may or may not have lived. Um, and you say that you believe in him. I don't really know what that is. If you were forced to tell someone what believing is, what would you say? Now, I don't know if you are like me, but when I was first presented with this question, my first year out of seminary, uh, I did what most of you are doing right now. I was thinking, "Uh, I don't know. I had no way to know to describe what believing is. I simply want to tonight, in the next 20 minutes, to take a pitch at you at trying to grasp what we mean when we say, I believe, and hopefully pitch at you why I think the idea of believing matters, how it's a big deal. And I want to look at it through three lenses. Number one, I want to look at the centrality of believing. I want to look, secondly, at the nature of believing. And then I want to look, finally, at the act of believing. By the way, each week we're going to have outlines in front of you that you can look and jot down some notes uh, with. And I'll try to follow that as carefully as I can so you know where we are in the whole action. First of all, notice the centrality of believing. Look, y'all, you can hardly throw a rock into the New Testament And not land on a page where someone is talking about how important it is that we believe. You know, here comes Jesus in dealing with this father who's got this illness in his family. And he looks at him and he gives what I would consider to be a fairly over-the-top statement. 
Jesus looks and says, all things are possible for him who believes. Now, I don't care who you are. (laughs) That's sort of a loaded statement. And there's no way for you to get around this idea that if you're going to investigate Christianity, you first have to realize that Christianity is a believing religion. It's one that is constantly putting the issue of belief in front of you. In other words, believing is more central to Christianity than it is to any other world religion, I would submit to you. Um, I would argue, it's an opinion, that most other world religions will come to you trying to deal with you about the things that you do. In other words, they they will be concerned mostly with what the theologians call orthopraxy. Ortho meaning straight, right? You went to an orthodontist to get your teeth straightened, right? Orthopraxy is basically an emphasis in religion that focuses on right actions. In other words, if you want to be a part of our religion, here's our five tenets, here's our 25 principles, here's our 10 easy steps. Do these and you can be a part of our religion. Does that make sense? They focus mostly on what you are doing. But I want to submit to you this semester that Christianity is different. Christianity, rather than focusing on orthopraxy, always wants to talk about orthodoxy. The word literally means straight or right or true glorifying or right glory giving. In other words, what the Bible says, and in many ways this is the key to unlocking the entire semester. So you came on the right night. Orthodoxy means that the Bible is concerned with the things that thrill your heart. In other words, what Christianity wants to get into is all up in your business beyond just what you do. But it wants to get down to the most fundamental level of who you are, namely the things that you love, the things that you're committed to. The things that you look at and say, wow, now that's what I want. Because in the Bible's words, you are, by saying that that's what you want, giving glory to that thing. And therefore, the Bible wants to look and say, I want you to do it properly. I want you to find the right things to give glory to. So Christianity is not so much concerned with orthopraxy, but orthodoxy. What is it that is thrilling? You argue that Christianity is not primarily a religion that you practice. We hear people talk about needing to have the freedom to practice our religion. But I'm simply wanting to pitch to you tonight that that is not Jesus' primary interest. Rather, what Jesus does is he roots what you do in what you love or in what you glorify, in what thrills you. And so Christianity is not, therefore, a religion of superficiality. It goes straight to the core of who you are and challenges you on that level. So first, we have to look at the centrality of believing. Secondly, though, I want you to start to get a grasp on the nature of believing. All right, Les, I hear you. Believing, okay, that's important, right? But I still, you haven't still told me what it is. And eventually, you're going to run into what I would consider to be very bad definitions of what believing really is and what faith really is. You know, for some people, uh, faith or believing is sort of working yourself up into this mental state that is completely purged of any doubts whatsoever. Does that make sense? Um, 
My favorite example of this is from an old black and white Christmas movie. You know, it won't be long before it's Christmas time, right? We'll do some Christmas hymns here at RUF and whatnot. It's a good, it's a good time. But I love watching Miracle on 34th Street, the old black and white version, you know, the good one. And there you have little Natalie Wood, you know, the chief skeptic. She doesn't believe in Santa Claus, right? I'm not going to believe in Santa Claus so I can tug on his beard. But through the process of the movie, she all of a sudden starts to entertain the possibility that I think this guy might actually be Santa Claus. But she rests all of her hopes on getting a certain Christmas gift on Christmas morning. And when she wakes up and looks underneath the tree, guess what? The present wasn't there. And so her and her mother and her mother's new boyfriend are driving through the city. And they get on the outskirts of the city and are driving through a suburb. And they're trying to sort of avoid some traffic on the holiday as they're on the way to their relatives. And little Natalie Wood is in the back seat having a crisis of belief. And do you remember what she's doing? Some of my favorite scenes. She's sitting back there sort of with her fist in her cheek and she's saying, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. When I hear a lot of people talk about believing, I almost hear them talking like Natalie Wood. It's almost like, don't tell me anything that I, don't want to, that I can't explain. I don't want to hear any of it because I just want to believe. And if you introduce any kind of doubt in there, it might shake my faith. Look, y'all, for a long list of different reasons, that's a bad definition of faith. Believing, in many ways, if you think that it's, it's, it's the purging of all doubts, the tragedy is, is you'll never go and grow in your faith. The only way to grow in your faith is to begin, in some measure, to entertain those doubts and to dissatisfy your intellect to being able to say, yes, I can say with some measure of truth that I believe that. It's not simply sort of some trying to purge yourself of doubts. Doubts, in many ways, can be a good thing. Look, for some of you, especially freshmen, you're due up for a surprise. (laughs) In the months to come, there's going to be someone who is going to rock your world. And some of the very easy answers that got you by in youth group will suddenly not make much sense. And I want to encourage you to actually deal with those things. Begin to ask them questions. Instead, what we do is we look and say, well, I don't want to do that because then I might not be believing. No. Listen to them. Work through them. Secondly, some people think that believing is like um, a mere acknowledgement of the truthfulness of something. Uh, People say, sure, you know, um, I believe in Jesus. Uh, uh, By that I mean that, like, I don't know, I'm willing to agree that 2,000 years ago there was a guy, his name was Jesus, sure. Uh, He did some stuff. Yeah, I believe. Mm, That's also a bad definition of believing as well. The Bible, uh, specifically in the book of James, says that if that's the level of your believing, some sort of intellectual assent to something, then you've, you've only reached the level of a demon. <laughs> Even the demons believe and they tremble, says James. Simply acknowledging that it was there is not what the Bible calls belief. Thirdly, and this one's more complicated, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but there's a lot of people that think that faith is that thing that you do when you run out of facts. I really wish I could be there in some of your biology classrooms. When your professor stands up to you and says, look, I think it's cool that many of you are religious like that. Knock yourselves out in your own time. But in this classroom, we're going to deal with the facts. You see, your religious stuff is faith. What we do here is factual. Hmm. And all of a sudden we're like, yeah, okay, good. 
So I don't have, God has nothing to say about what I'm doing here in the biology classroom, right? Wrong. Look, y'all, and again, we can't go into this too much, but let me just throw out a couple of ideas. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, the writer says this. He says, look, by faith, we understand that the world was made by God's command. Now, look, that little word understand there in Hebrews 11, 3 is the, is the Greek word for the word mind. Now, did you hear what he said? In believing, we understand. Your thinking, your rationality, and your faith are intimately attached. I would go so far as to say, and I realize this is a loaded statement, but I would go so far as to say that anyone who attempts to do any clear-headed thinking has got to assume something before they do so. And guess what? All of those somethings are accepted by faith. In other words, the scientist who claims to be so much about facts is himself employing all kinds of assumptions when he enters into that world. He's not so much purged of faith as he thinks that he is. But I simply want to pitch to you that we ought not have to think that we should check our brains at the door in order to invest ourselves in the teachings of the Bible. To be honest with you, if the Bible taught you to be like, hey, 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 I know that it's completely absurd. I know that nothing in the Bible makes sense. I know that it's full of contractions. Hey, but the dumber the better. Because that way you can have faith. If that's your view of faith, my guess is you're not going to be able to read stories like what Jesus just was, was just uh, told and really understand them. Because Jesus looks and says, if you believe, anything is possible. That's an over-the-top statement. What does he mean? Well, look, y'all, I simply want to assert this to you as best as I can, and I've already mentioned it, that when we deal with believing, I want to submit to you that in some measure... Everybody's believing. In the way the Bible looks and understands you, it, be, it assumes that every single human being is in possession of a certain mechanism on the inside of their human beingness, on the inside of their humanity. And that mechanism is the thing that goes to stuff. It goes to something, and it says to that something, this is what's going to make my life Okay, this is going to make me, me. What does Jesus say there in verse 19? He says, you faithless generation, you unbelieving generation. In other words, he says, your problem is the world in which you are living in, the things that you are counting on in this world, they don't know how to deal with me. I am the supreme category blower. And I'm the one who explodes them all and forces you to deal with what I'm doing. And that's why he does the miraculous. He bends the laws of nature. He does things and shows that he's the one who's holding them. And therefore, we are a faithless generation because we're not looking and seeing him as the thing that makes the sense of everything else. And suddenly, now we've come to the ultimate definition of faith. Everyone has faith in something. We all do it. We're all believing. The Bible's question is not, do you or do you not believe? The Bible's question is, is the thing that you're believing in now actually sustaining your life? Interesting thing is, is college is usually the time in which those things that we counted on begin to fall away. Look, y'all, the process and the nature of believing I thought was described so well by a friend of mine who's a pastor friend out in uh, California in San Francisco. 
And he was talking about some recent minor surgery that he had. And he says, walk with me through the process that I had to go through before I had this surgery. He says, first of all, I did the research. I studied. I looked through the procedure. I I visited various doctors and got all the opinions. In other words, he says, faith begins in investigation. Look, y'all, the only thing that I'm going to set in front of you this evening is this. Are you willing to come back? Come back another week to investigate this a little bit further. To look into what God's word might say a little bit further. And even if by the end of the semester you reject Christianity, at least you did so with some kind of intellectual integrity. That you investigated it before you rejected it. And you didn't just reject it because you honestly just kind of wanted to live the way you wanted to live. It begins with investigation. He said, secondly, though, he made a decision. He said, you know what? I'm going to choose this doctor. I'm actually going to go in this direction. In other words, he made a decision. But the interesting thing about his decision was, it wasn't a decision that was based upon absolute certainty. He knew he couldn't be absolutely certain that he had chosen the right doctor. He only did so on the basis of the best evidence. Now look, that goes against a lot of our sort of Americanized thinking. You see, we kind of want to be absolutely certain. Can you tell me that my life is going to be perfect and easy and happy if I sign up for this whole Christianity thing? No. At least not in this life. Look, y'all, we do not reason into a decision. We reason to probability, best probability. And then we look and say, I'm ready to give myself to this, which is what he did on the third thing. The third thing was he said, I had to put myself under the knife. I had to actually submit myself to the doctors and let them put me under in the anesthesia and allow myself to be undergo the procedure. I wonder if anybody's willing to do that this semester. To look and say, you know what? I'll actually give this a try. I'll jump in. I'll see if I can't see the world better from the inside of what Jesus' eyes have for us. Look, y'all. Believing, Christian believing, interestingly enough, is never focused so much on the act of believing. Rather, it's always focused on the object of believing. Look, in other words, believing is almost like a windshield. It's not something that's meant to be looked at. It's something that's meant to be looked through. If you get all preoccupied with your windshield, you're going to crash your car. But if you use the windshield the way it's supposed to be, to be looked through at the object on the other side, the windshield can be extremely helpful, even we might argue necessary. Look, y'all, faith is what we look through. The question that becomes, what are you looking at? And the Apostles' Creed says, here it is. And that's what we're going to go through. The Trinitarian Apostles' Creed this semester. One last thought and I'll be finished with this. So what does it look like, Les? (laughs) What is the act of believing, thirdly? How do I know if I'm believing? Two simple things. Number one, you'll know that you're starting to believe because you started to get humble. You started to get humble is how you know you believe. Look at at verse um, 28. You know, the disciples are actually just the buffoons of this whole thing. If you read through the New Testament, the disciples are the ones who never get what's going on. Why couldn't we cast it out? How come we weren't the one? And Jesus looks and says, this one, hmm, this one only comes out by prayer. In other words, there are some things that are only possible if God does them. And you show yourself to be dependent upon him by praying to him, by asking. That's what Joseph is talking about tonight. Trying to set in front of you the prayer team that will meet over here in this room. 
an hour before RUF, to pray for what goes on. Why? Because we're humble enough to know that if it were up to us, we'd screw it up. My friends, the minute that you start to get humble, you'll know that believing is right there. Notice what it is that this guy says. I love this guy's confession. He looks and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Am I the only one who feels exactly like that guy? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, I've got it. I think that I grasp it as much as I can. But it just seems like there's this thing inside of me that doesn't want to believe or doesn't know how to believe or is confused about it. Lord, help my unbelief. And guess what Jesus does? He does the healing. In other words, the expression of humility opens the door and in he walks. Man, don't you want that? Secondly, not only will you get humble, first of all, but secondly, you'll know that you're believing when you begin to talk less about your belief and more about what you believe in. Does that make sense? There's a, there's a, a, a few men standing on the side, um, uh, two men actually standing on the side of a frozen river. Uh, one man is looking across the river and he says to himself, you know what? I've been here a thousand times. I come here in the winter. I know the area. I know this river. And I know for a fact that that ice is going to hold me. I am completely and utterly confident that that ice is going to hold me. And so he scurries across the water and gets to the other side safely. The second man, though, is standing on the side of the river and he looks and he's like, uh, I don't know this place. That guy before me seemed awfully confident, but who's to say that he didn't crack it when he went across it? I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not even sure if this is going to work at all, but I'm just going. And he closes his eyes and scurries across the river and gets safely to the other side. Now, if you spoke to those men on the other side of that river, and the two of them looked and said, I sure am glad that I believed enough to get me across that river. Or you looked at the other guy and said, well, I'm glad you had just enough to get you across. Don't you think they would look at you and say, um, you know, the funny thing was, it really wasn't our belief. It was the thickness of the ice. See? In other words, it had nothing to do with the level of our believing. It has everything to do with whether or not the ice could hold you. Let me ask you a question. Where do you find yourself tonight? Maybe it's been a good summer. Maybe it's been a bad summer. Maybe it's your last year. Maybe it's your first year. Where do you find yourself as an observer of Christianity? Some of you maybe are participants, but there are times in which you get to questions where you're just not sure where you can answer. Hey, come back. We very well might get to something this semester in this ancient creed that might, might unpack something for you. Some of you might look and say, to be quite honest with you, I used to believe but college has just made it a little too difficult to do so. Okay, would you give it one more semester to investigate and look and say, maybe the Christianity I rejected is not the one that actually is? Some of you may be looking and saying, <clears throat> to be honest with you, I just kind of wandered by tonight. I have no idea what y'all are doing. This is a little creepy to me. Um, I don't have any interest in Christianity. Hey, look, you especially. I wonder if Jesus could make you just a little bit curious just a little bit curious enough to actually come back. Maybe even next week, go to a small group to sort of jump in freshmen on Tuesday afternoons at 3.30 in the Union. Yes, that was a commercial. <laughs> to investigate it a little bit more. Because, my friends, the second that you begin to get curious and you begin to get humble and you begin to say, maybe there's something there 
that having seen it would wash away every other doubt. It sure would be worth a semester, wouldn't it? Listen, consider that an invitation for you tonight to consider these things with us this semester. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you give us the grace then to believe? Um, we sang it even tonight that uh, all the fitness that you require uh, is to feel our need of you and that this you give us. <laughs> you grant us even the sense of needing to come and investigate you. And so, Lord Jesus, if that is true, if it's true, would you invite all of these my new friends here and some old friends to get curious, to find out what it is that is to this believing thing and why believing might matter. And that if maybe, just maybe, they would fill up their vision with the glories that is, that is embedded in you and the great Trinitarian truths of the Apostles' Creed, that maybe we might find something that might change us. We might leave this semester different and it wouldn't just be one more semester that we let slip past us without changing. Oh, if, that, if we wish that would be that kind of semester, would you help us see to it? For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.